This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Scandals this week are all about politicians behaving badly at Christmas parties. The Boris Johnson, the Downing Street Christmas party that happened a year oh, ago. That is just such a cracker of a story. That was a ripper story. It's just got worse. Vision has now emerged. And listen, Anna, just put your hand up early on. Just put your hand up and fess up because a year later, the government are in crisis at the same time they're announcing more restrictions because of the dreaded bloody Omicron. I had one, I had two, I ate the entire jar. (laughs) And I was as fat as a goog. The following year when she gave them to me, I went, no, please, I can't. I can't take another nut. One word, Corrie, was strange. Disgraced ex-army surgeon signs up on a ship on an ill-fated whaling expedition to the Arctic. Um, Say no more. It's grim, it's pretty violent, and there's some really confronting scenes, and there's whaling. It's just a great tale, well told. I've got plenty to be grumpy about, and I'm grumpy that the AFL have introduced by stealth a new fixture next year where the tides are no longer playing the season opener. How long was it between drinks for Melbourne? Let them have their glory, girls. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. And it is our birthday. We are 200 episodes. Whoa! Here we are clapping ourselves. Caroline Wilson... Here we are, my friend. Happy 200th, Corrie. Happy 200th, Miss Jane. And happy 200th for for our favourite special guest who joins us back by popular demand and back in the off shop, Anna. Great to see you as well. Hello, everyone, and congratulations. Oh, Anna, it's so lovely to have you here. I wish Caro was here with us because we have a very nice bottle of sparkling to share not you, Caro, in Amsterdam, but we have um, been given this by our friends at Prince Wine Store, who are great sponsors of this podcast, as is Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. So thank you to you both, guys. Your support means the world. And also our listeners out there, how you have tolerated Caro and me continuing our conversation of 40-plus years friendship, in the case of Anna and Caro, 55 years, we have turned 100 and 200, and in this time, we have dissected the royal family, the Brownlow fashions, AFL royalty. We've dished it to all sides of parliament, both federal and local. We've covered COVID and lockdowns, the same-sex marriage bill, 70s dinner parties. Who can forget the carpetbag steak? Barnaby Joyce, in, in favour, out of favour, Back in favour and today in quarantine. (laughs) Richmond and its premierships, ho-hum, had a couple of those. Donald Trump and Boris Johnson. We've talked about cosy British crime. We've talked about footy in Tasmania. We've declared we have crushes on people such as Donny Osmond. One of my moments and David Stratton. I think think we say I there, Corrie, not we. I'm not going to be included in that. Thank you very much. We've uh, we've had crushes on the Queen and Caro's puppy Queenie. We've been grumpy about Melbourne traffic um, often. 
Uh, the Australian Cricket Board, sometimes Jeff Kennett, a few times, and sometimes I wonder if former Sydney shock jock Alan Jones feels little tiny pricks every time Caro sticks another verbal pin into the little doll she has of him beside her bed. We have picked apart the Academy Awards, the Emmys, the Booker Prizes, the Miles Franklins and the Logies. We've given GLTs and footy tips, racing tips. Does everybody remember when I tipped, gave everyone the tip for the Caulfield Melbourne Cup a couple of years ago and everybody out there won? We have baked, barbecued, fried, roasted and mixed. And in the name of research for this program, we have tried Negronis, Champagne Cocktails, Chablis, Rosé, Ciders, Sparkling, and we have recorded from our bedrooms, from walk-in wardrobes, from the Melbourne Town Hall, from the old bookshop, and from here, of course, in the South Bank studio, we've had, oh, Caro, our guests, Annabelle Crabb, Jane Caro, Adele Ferguson, Kerry O'Brien, Jock Sarong, who we love, um, Anna and I did the Judith Lucy interview, Nick McKenzie, which was our second highest rating program over all these years. You'll tell us a bit more about that later. Jane Lamerton, the dress designer, and Heather Hewitt, footy's three women club presidents, plus all of our beloved regulars, most of whom are related to Caro, Clemmie Donoghue, Rose Donoghue, <laughs> Brendan Donoghue, <laughs> Jeff Slattery, Mike Sheehan, Julia Wilson, and of course, our beloved Anna from the op shop. And we have solved problems of the world, like, what's your favourite summer herb? <laughs> I, I tried to make a sponge. You tried to sing while shepherds watch their flock by night in Swahili. And we've had some crackerjack episode titles. One word, Corrie, moisturise. That was episode at 38. We've had episode 46, which we still say often, thank God dogs can't talk. <laughs> um, you're in episode 49, Caro, you said bookshops are the new black. Remember that lovely, lovely listener, Miss Jane, who said in when we mentioned it in episode 79, I came to the podcast for Caro and I stayed for Corey. Oh, so true, Corey. <laughs> um, very famous episode number 115, maybe it was the Weevils. Yes, they continue to haunt me. And who can forget episode 129, which went by the title Little Old Hairy Legs. I suspect lockdown had something to do with Anyway, Carol. Was, was that also, Corrie, why the women of Melbourne were falling apart? Another <laughs> top rating episode? Exactly. Probably. I and just wanted to mention um, some brilliant stats Miss Jane has done. We know um, we announced this a month or so ago that we'd hit the big million, well over a million listeners by now, and that's in Australia. But, Corrie, did you know that our second most popular country of listeners was the US and our third was the United Kingdom? We even have listeners in, obviously, in the Republic of Ireland. But I'm so happy to see that we've hit four figures in the Netherlands. And I wonder if that's got something to do with my Dutch facts. I've got, a, I've got another good real estate Dutch fact for you um, this week. I'm shattered to see that our most popular episode ever was one that I wasn't even involved in. <laughs> and that, and that, was, that was back in April or May when Craig Hutchison and his beautiful Claire were special guests. I'm hoping it's great credit to you, Corrie. Great credit to Hutchie, and I'm sure it got a lot of plugs on the Sounding Board podcast. A second most popular episode also involved a bloke, Nick McKenzie. But there were some others having absolutely nothing to do with blokes. Sometimes the truth hurts. Give me that plucky heroine. I think a reference to Mary Stewart, one of our favourite authors, and grind my gears, Caro. So um, 
Well done. Mutual applause all round, Corrie. And, Caro, we wouldn't be here, of course, without the wonderful Jane Neald, who is Australia's gift, Australia's gift to the podcasting industry. Not only is she a musician and a singer of note, but she is just so unfazed by our, uh, what can I say, sometimes disorganised selves. And every single week we have been here, she has just been listening to our crap. (laughs) Well, and also, Miss Jane, it's been a credit to you because we didn't think when we set out doing this that um, I would be spending four months, one third of 2021 in Amsterdam. But I have, or I'm almost... um, well, not almost coming to an end, but almost three months in this particular stint. So that's been a bit of a logistical nightmare, but we've somehow got through it. So thank you, Jane. And I must say thank you to you, Caro, for encouraging me to buy a house in the country because my plan was I just want a garden that I can pick podcast flowers from. <laughs> the 200th bouquet is pretty special, I've got to say. It is. It's pretty Beautiful. special. And I'm glad you're off the streets thieving from the neighbours of Croydon. <laughs> Jane, I was very worried you were going to get, end up in the lock up there. And Anna, it is so lovely to have had you on our journey. You and Caro go back to when you were little kids and your parents were friends. I met you, of course, when I was 17 through Caro when she and I became friends. You were there by her side. And we've had a lot of fun on this podcast with you. So thanks for coming in and keeping us company today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. I never thought I'd have podcasting skills. <laughs> If I have got them at all. But. What, what about when you were in the queue to see Winston Churchill's cellar or dungeon? War or rooms. You, war rooms. <laughs> One of the best English tourist attractions of all times. And a woman Absolutely. said, can I have your photo? Uh, can I have a photo with you? I was like, Chris just couldn't believe it. It was just, you know, a real high point. Particu- particularly because it's not a visual medium, Anna. They heard your voice and they knew it was you. Absolutely <laughs> incredible. You've been recognised. I mean, around the tan and the MCT no. is one thing, but I know. Piccadilly Circus, Trafalgar <laughs> Square, quite another. Corrie, we've had we've had some wonderful correspondence, a lot of response to your um, long but very interesting review of Get Back the new um, film about the Beatles, a a revisionist sort of view, really, by Peter Jackson of the Let It Be movie and a much longer version. Kate Richards thanks you via Facebook. She's loving it. Thea Guest, our London correspondent, came back with some really interesting observations, including the fact that... um, John and Yoko seem pretty out of it for most of the film. Would you agree with that? Um, the first part of it, yeah. The first, um, the first part of the January 1969 is recorded in the Twickenham studios and John and Yoko definitely don't want to be there, so they've probably just had a bit of hooch to get them through the day. Once they're in the uh, Apple studios back in uh, downtown London, they are. He, John is really on, I would have to say. But yeah, interesting, um, interesting observation from Thea. It was great to hear from her. And Patrick Weirden via email. Hi there. I moved to Amsterdam in August last year. Mum called me last week to say that she has learned more about my new home by listening to Caro on Don't Shoot the Messenger than she has from talking to me on the phone. <laughs> Patrick. Well, it's. Fu- it's funny, my um, my Dutch friend, well, Australian friend, but Dutch friend who lives here, Mill Van Vedendal, said her mother rang her after the hard-boiled egg episode and said, do you really go into brown bars and eat hard-boiled eggs for free <laughs> or for one euro? And Mill confirmed that they're there, but that she doesn't do it. He recommends a book, Patrick, called Why the Dutch Are Different, which is a really interesting book, but still not as fascinating as the Amsterdam book I recommended last week. And um, we have an AFP correspondent, 
Corrie, who wrote a really interesting missive on her response after our discussion on the Kate Jenkins report into bad behaviour, what well, we're calling it that, in the federal parliament. She's pretty pessimistic, Corrie, that there will be much um, response from all of this, and she's really concerned that we might not see much of a response at all. So that's pretty disappointing. Well, um, to our to our uh, correspondent who wished wishes to remain nameless, we loved your email. We uh, have both read it. Jane has deeply moved and um, gosh, I love it when we talk about a more serious topic and um, we get that kind of response. So thanks for that. And Felicity Brown says, hi, Corrie, when you have a moment, you might enjoy listening to Conversations podcast with Anne Patchett, who wrote The Dutch House. She gives a gorgeous description of her own bookshop. Um, That's a bit sad. I'll probably cry. But, you know, that's okay. I watched You've Got Mail, the first half of it the other night, and I thought, no, I just can't get to the scene where she closes the shop and and sees the ghost of her mother, I will. that will send me into shreds of tears. So, Caro, um, we've got so much to discuss. Um, Anna, we do want to hear from you about the op shop soon, the op shop reopening, but tell us about life in Amsterdam this week. What's been happening? Well, we're talking about Christmas, aren't we, Corrie, and signs of Christmas. Um, as Anna referred to me in a message the other day, culture vulture, my one apology for the day it's probably to Vincent van Gogh, after I described Rembrandt as probably the most famous Dutch artist, I did mention van Gogh. I suppose the old Vincent spent so much time away from the Netherlands, whereas van, Rembrandt, once he moved to the Netherlands, as it moved to Amsterdam in his early 20s, never left. But Brendan and I went back just for a revisionist, a second look for the trip um, at the van Gogh Museum. My God, what a wonderful place it is. This time we... Um, saw a special exhibition about the potato eaters, one of his most famous paintings that he wanted to be an early masterpiece. It was highly criticised, but this goes back over that particular painting, how it was constructed, how it was conceived, and, of course, you know, all the old favourites, sunflowers, boats at Arles. It is, you know, the um, the bedroom, uh, Gauguin's chair. It is... What a story. You couldn't, you couldn't script that story, could you? So that was my cultural moment, but... Christmas is in the air, Corrie, and it's all about Christmas scandals over here. Can I just ask, has, sc- um, has Sooty Pete emerged? <laughs> oh, there are three of them, black, three black Pete's came out of our local brown bar, tapped out eating, uh, a few eating, days ago. Eating barboiled eggs. All, all dressed in their sort of 19, 18th century, no, 19th century, sorry, regalia, all with black faces sooty faces and all playing instruments. So um, <laughs> apparently um, our other great podcast friend Trish Hughes tells me that this debate has been raging in the lowlands of Europe since the 1980s and it continues to do so. No, but the um, scandals this week are all about politicians behaving badly at Christmas parties. The Boris Johnson, the Downing Street Christmas party that happened a year oh, ago. That is just such that a cracker of a story. That was a ripper story. Well, it it continues this morning because they had a minister booked to appear, as they do a lot on BBC Breakfast Show, the empty chair. There was an empty (laughs) chair. Nobody turned up because it's just got worse. Vision has now emerged of more um, of that bogus press conference where the press secretary, whose name name is Allegra Allegra. Stratton, so she she was the one who did the um, sort of test 
test pattern press conference last year that's been leaked. She ended up being um, the media organiser for the Glasgow Climate Change Conference. So she was her career was rocketing since that moment. She was, of course, Boris Johnson's um, press secretary. She's resigned in tears. People are horrified. Um, she joked about it being a meeting or a cheese and wine night. A lesson, Anna, just put your hand up early on. Just put your hand up and fess up because a year later, the government are in crisis at the same time they're announcing more restrictions because of the dreaded bloody Omicron. But on the other side of the pond, another pond, the Finnish Prime Minister, are you across what's happened with the Finnish Prime Minister? She oh, is in fact... Not um, here. Anna, We're just doing the cricket, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> well, Anna and I, Anna and I are looking at each other going, no. what Finnish, Finnish Prime Minister? <laughs> well... Not only is she the Prime Minister of Finland, but she's the youngest Prime Minister in the world at the moment. She went out partying. The, um, the Foreign Minister of Finland tested positive to COVID. And um, so she, of course, was meant to be staying at home. But guess what? She went out partying. And um, unfortunately, she's been sprung. She claimed she left her phone at home. Who left their phone at home? So she didn't know about the positive test and that she was meant to be quarantining. Um, there's shots of her at the Butcher's Club, a Finnish nightclub at 4am, <laughs> checking the time on her watch. Her name's Sonia Marin. Oh, sorry, Sana Marin, and she's in big trouble. So I don't know what it is. with the, it's, it's not only in Australia. I, I don't think we've had a real gotcha moment like that press secretary press conference um, that, um, of Allegra Stratton, but that story will not go away. And it is, as I said, such a salutary lesson in putting your hand up early on. Just getting back to Sonna going out till 4am and bar hopping, I presume to get inside the bar, she's had her phone to do her um, QR code. How could she suddenly say, oh, I left it at home? Well, she's saying that she's, I think she's saying there's a home phone and a work phone. Oh, personal for phone. She's saying she left sake. her work phone at home. I find that hard. To home phone? Who has one of them? Even I don't have one. So, Cara, we've had a bit of violence um, on the streets inside and outside shopping centres this week uh, as the vax versus anti-vax movement, um, you know, is really starting to to rear its ugly head, and I do mean ugly. And retailers, you know, I was thinking of you, Anna, the other day when that poor bookseller at Dimmick's in the city that was, terrible. was um was injured because um when he when he asked, you know, Cara, he asked can I see your um, vaccination certificate and everything? And the, the customer arced up and said, no way, none of your business, and um, pushed the pushed the bookseller and he fell down the escalator stairs and injured himself. Anna, what is the mood like in oh retail? People have been aggressive, I have to say. I mean, we have to ask, you know, can we see your certificate or, or are you double vaxxed or have you checked in? And they're aggressive. I don't quite know why, because most of them seem to have done it. But whether they're just jack of people asking. But there is a level of aggro, I think, definitely. I was shopping in Ballarat on the weekend with Francesca, and we had to do, you know, five or six Mm. different shops. One of those, whiz here, whiz there, whiz there. And we were driving home, and I said, you just get absolutely jack of it, don't Mm. you? You really do. Like, the phone comes out and show it. But it's not the retailer's fault. It's not the shop assistant's fault that they're asking. It's the law, and that's what people have to remember. I know, but I I don't know whether people just thought that, you know, once we were out, we were double-jabbed, that was it, we'd be on the merry way. We've also had a real issue with masks, and that's something, no mask, no entry in our shop. You know, big Simon, there's been, we've had to really pull up the big guns and, 
you know, you can be quite intimidating if you've got a bloke I've got to going say, off si- at you. Simon, aka Dez, who used to be in a rock band, and his name is Dez Struction. <laughs> I've Dez, had to call Dez, on Dez. <laughs> Dez is a big mouse. I know, but he's tall and he's a Kiwi. <laughs> oh, and... I thought you meant Dez was being um being militant and refusing to wear a mask. Oh, so no. he's your bodyguard. No, he, he's our bodyguard. He's a security man. <laughs> a lot of our volunteers haven't been double vaxxed, so they're not back. So there's there's a real issue with staffing. That's huge across all, I think, all industries in Melbourne at the moment. But no, Oppie's been, you know, decimated. Oh, that's terrible. It's but It's funny uh, because the, um, the QR code on the phone here is so... I mean, it's just been such a thing from pretty much the week we arrived. We found out as soon as we checked into a hotel on our arrival, we were going to need it, that it's quite, um, it's almost, there's almost been copies of it and people faking it, like getting other people's QR codes. So now when they check your QR code, they ask what your birth month is or what year you were born or what your first name is, which I must say, I'm absolutely fine about it. And I, I find this sort of people being bolshy particularly in an op shop, Anna, where you're raising money for a really good cause and you're doing it, most people there, for the goodness of their heart. I know, it's I know. terrible behaviour. It's been, there's been a lot of aggro, as I said. It's been not that pleasant to actually be out behind the jump. Well, I was in the... With the I, GP. I, I was out in the field in Ballarat on Sunday, um, just after attending the Gruffalo Ballet concert. We had pizza and my car was parked a million miles away because all of the Melbourne protesters, protesters had gone up to Ballarat to have this kind of eureka stockade sort of moment. And I was after lunch, I was walking back to my car on my own and I had my mask on and I right into a group of about 20 protesters, all with masks off and everything. And I thought, oh, well, you know, if I get any stick here, I'm, I'm prepared, I'm ready to go. And all I, all I got was a, a, a snigger and a sneer, which is, oh, keep your, keep your mask on, keep your mask on. I went, well, you know, yes, I will. And I sort of muttered something under my breath, got dirty looks, but I then very quickly ran away. <laughs> Went to my ran car. into your car and locked the door. <laughs> I thought that's my altercation. As, as my mother, Corrie, as my mother once said, the worst um, trait in people is really not so much meanness sometimes, but just complete stupidity. Well, I mean, that to me is just completely stupid. But Anna, apart from bad behaviour about mask wearing and QR codes or um, vaccination certificates, are people coming back and spending money? People are coming back. Funnily enough, they're not spending as much money as I thought they'd be spending. I don't know whether people are holding on to their pennies or spending for Christmas, but they're not. We started off with an absolute, you know, bang on day. And after that, it's been quite quiet. And also imagine two years of lockdown. There's no overseas travel. There's no buying clothes for winter, summer, spring, autumn. So donations are really pretty grim. Oh, really? Even though everybody cleaned out their linen yeah, press and their cupboards how many, for two years? I mean, last last lockdown before, well, you know, the fifth lockdown, it was Christmas decorations. After this lockdown, it's just, you know, those horrible top cupboards that have just got stuff in there. Honestly, granny's mink and that sort of stuff. Chip crystal. No, it's been really grim. And that's across the board. It's been really, um, so it's interesting. Well, Caro, I'm noticing, I've only just started the, the Christmas shopping and um, 
the, the lack of goods, I know you and I have talked about this before, but there's not a lot of stuff on the shelves. You know, there's, you go to the toy department and there's not a lot of stuff. And you go to, I mean, not wanting to mention Kmart, but I will, but I went to try and get some glasses and stuff from their homewares section and there were just so many depleted shelves. I think everything must be stuck on the wharves. The big disappointment for me, remember last week, Corrie, I was grumpy about five o'clock closing. Well, a nasty little um, prisoner just stepped in in a couple of our favourite brown bars because we tend to go down at 4.30. That's our, you know, thrill for the day. Have have one drink before closing. A couple of places have said to us, oh, sorry, last drink's 4.30. We shut our doors at 5. At one of them, the lo- Rose and Oscar's local, again, I said, excuse me, that is not acceptable. <laughs> Other people are in here drinking. You will serve us a drink. Thank you very much. I mean, that's the most militant I've got. And the places around where we live have done that. We've banned them and we'll never go there again. And others let you in happily at almost quarter to five or 10 to five, knowing you're just going to stay for one drink and then be gone in 10 minutes. But there have been a couple of local brown bars where there's a group of locals sitting around and we walk out at five and they show absolutely Absolutely no signs of leaving. I can't tell you. that That's the saddest thing about being here at the moment, that we managed to make light of it. I guess this is probably a good segue into the cocktail cabinet, Corrie. Oh, let's have a drink. Now, it's not Miss Jane serving the alcohol today. It's It will be me because Jane is going to, and a worthy substitute for Miles, Janie, can I say, Miles had the audacity to have his Christmas party tonight, Cara, while we're recording this. How dare God he? God love him. <laughs> so, so the staff of Prince Wine Store have, um, where do they go when they own a wine shop? What do they do? Anyway. Uh, just shut the door. <laughs> I'd be very happy. Not there. hard. Turn the music yeah, up. Yeah, I'd be very happy there. So, <laughs> so Jane has spoken to Miles and she's going to give us a rundown on a sparkling, which I'm about to open and we will propose... Um, a little toast to the show's 200th and we'll guzzle while you have your morning cup of tea over there in Amsterdam. Bad luck, doll. Well, crack it, Corrie. And I have to say, when I was picking up this lovely little gift from Miles and the Prince Wine Store team today, it was my first walk through the doors. Oh, I could stay there for hours. It's fabulous shop, isn't it? <laughs> there fabulous. is just such a mood, such a vibe. Uh, but Miles has given us today what he calls a good little sparkler which I kind of love as a description, a super delicious alternative to champagne. So we're going to taste that. Congratulations. We'll cheers in a sec. Um, it's a sparkling Vouvray from the Loire Valley, a Damien Pinon Vouvray Brut NV. <laughs> Apologies for the pronunciation, Miles. It's a Chenin Blanc-based high-acid wine, which Miles says makes it perfect for sparkling. So it's grown in a similar soil to the champagne, region. So there are some similar qualities to the varietal expression. Doesn't spend as much time on the lees. Now, I spoke to Dylan when I was in at Prince Wine Store and I'm like, can you just explain this time on the lees? So apparently the lees is the sort of the remnants of the yeast which causes the bubbles in the champagne or the sparkling wine. So they don't leave this one on it as long as a traditional champagne, but Miles says it still gives it a sort of briochey, bready aroma. Mm. Dylan said it was a favourite of the Prince Wine crew. Cheers, Caro, over there. Cheers to you. Got your cuppa? Cheers. So I've have a taste, cup, Corey. I can, I'm looking at Anna's glass. I can almost mm. hear the sparkle <laughs> and, and, and see the briochey, yeasty 
lees or non-lees mm. for my beer. It looks wonderful. So it and smells retails beautiful. Jane, retails Jane at $37 with discounts by the half and full dozen. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And, of course, if you use the promo code MESS at checkout and you order online uh, as a Don't Shoot the Messenger listener, mm, you can definitely smell that little sort of mm. that brioche so it's um, Carol. It's it's quite it's quite a light colour, which must be. You said Chenin Blanc is in it. Yeah, um, and it has a nice little bead. It's um. Well, how do I describe the finish? What did what did Miles say? Brioche said it would have a slight, not as heavy as some mm. champagnes, but that um, kind of a profile. It's um. It, mm. It's really delicious. It, in fact, it's good for. See, none of us have eaten dinner here, Caro. So, um, <laughs> you don't want something that's too powerful, do you? It's actually please, quite a perfect Please go aperitif. easy. We've got a lot. We've got to go through BSF here. <laughs> we were going to crack it before <laughs> we even started, but I made her wait. I was desperate. I just wanted to say also congratulations to our wonderful sponsors at Prince Wine Store. They've been named as one of the world's top ten iconic wine stores in the world. That's unbelievable by Wine Enthusiast magazine. So that's a big feather in their cap. And they've put together some fantastic cocktail packs um, for Christmas. I would really recommend them, everything you need to make classic cocktails. And the link to those cocktail packs will be in our show notes, Corrie. They now, will. And Anna, um, this might be a good segue into we've each done a Christmas cocktail. Um, does yours involve perhaps something that could be helped along with some bouvray? It certainly does, Caro. Thanks for asking. I'm serving up French 75s on Christmas morning. Oh, no, so am I. That was Snap. my cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually your sister's cocktail, so I felt rather bad that I'd actually um, taken it from Mogs. But it's, it's the most beautiful cocktail, isn't it? What's your recipe? It is. Well... The way, I mean, I, I was going to actually do it properly because often at home it really just involves lemon, gin and champagne, doesn't it, and, he, and heaps of ice. Isn't but there the sugar it, syrup? Yes, yeah, sorry. Well, I, I sometimes omit that. But um, to do it and just put in a sugar cube, but the actual ingredient to one lemon, which you get the, you know, curler and curl it around your finger to really impress. This is this is a recipe for one, yeah. one French 75 three tablespoons of gin, one and a half tablespoons of lemon juice, fresh, one tablespoon of said sugar syrup, very easy to make, uh, a cup of ice cubes. You put all that in the cocktail shaker, shake, 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 apart from the curl of lemon rind, and then you pour it into a glass and add a quarter of a cup of sparkling wine, in this case the Vouvray, and then um, you put the lemon spiral into the glass. Does that sound pretty good to you? That sounds absolutely fabulous. No, I'm so looking forward to it. I think it'll really get the sort of mixed media smeaten Christmas up why, and running. Why the title? Do you know what? They're actually called, well, this is what I read, that they're called French 75s um, after something called the Howitzer Field Gun, which was used by the French in World War One, And the gun was known for its accuracy and speed, and the cocktail said to have such a kick that it felt like it's being hit by such a weapon. <laughs> wow. I know. So, I mean, wow. I, don't, I don't want there people go, completely Cara, slumped. <laughs> no, but we don't want people Gee. slumped over the bird by, you know, absolutely out cold by three o'clock. Uh, we might have to put a bit more sugar syrup, a bit less gin and uh, vouvray. There goes Christmas Day. But, I, no, I, well, I, I, I love it. It's going to be hard to stop at one. I love it too, Anna. Mm. Um, I, I might... I might um, revert to the Negroni if things get 
oh, things really kick on. You, no, know, you, you know what I'm going to serve? What? Caro, guess you know this one so well. You should know this. Well, I'm going to kick off Christmas morning with an Armadale soother. Oh, the old Armadale soother, the um, pink grapefruit juice. Correct, with the Campari. Anna, it is so pretty. Have you had this at my house before? I haven't, but I'm hoping to have it over summer. It sounds, and I'm sure it looks incredible, but I'm worried, Caro, if you have the French 75 and then follow up with the Negroni, you're gone. You're (laughs) toast. You'll never get the buzzard out of the oven at all. No, I'm I'm only joking, Anna. I'm going to do French 75, I hope. (laughs) You know, the the big trend now and it's over here as well as in Melbourne, has been the white Negroni. And mm. it includes an, agree- an ingredient which I found hard to find. They had it at Prince and then they didn't. Then they had it again the- called Suze, S-U-Z-E. Is that the white vermouth? Well, it, it, it's not. It's not. It's like a vermouth. It's sort of an aperitif, um, but it's beautiful. And I think there's also white vermouth in a white Negroni. But anyway, it's really nice, a drop of Suze with sparkling wine like the Vouvray. I had that as a pre-lunch drink at lunch the other day. Absolutely delicious. Suze and sparkling wine. It's called a Suze Royale, I think. Well, delicious. This, the Vouvray is absolutely beautiful. It's going down way too well. Well, I was I was saying before, it's a really good um, aperitif for pre-dinner um, champagne. Isn't it? You know, sometimes Not- you can drink a really rich champagne and if you're having pass around food or or some sort of entree it's it's overwhelming it's almost like you've had a meal in the drink whereas this is sort of lovely and light and summery good very good choice Miles. especially now miss jane's done the second pour it's oh, no. even better. Oh, i don't want it sitting here going flat my god i might have to get the uber <laughs> home uh, and just letting <laughs> you know Miss Jane, before we sorry, Miss Jane, before we check out of the cocktail cabinet, you've done some wonderful cocktail tips for our show notes. But just give us a couple of um, pre preparation sort of tips for cocktail cabinet. Well, do you know what frustrates me is when suddenly people drop in. Look, it hasn't happened much for two years, but I'm pretending I'm the sort of girl that's going to get organised. When you don't have all the bits and pieces, you may have stocked the cocktail cabinet. But I just thought it was a reminder that start making ice now. Oh, my sister and I, we go mad if it's like. The kids have all raided the ice cubes. No one's filled them up. Suddenly people are around for a nice drink on a warm afternoon and there's no ice. Like, it's such basic things. Um, I must mention the Drinks Plinks ice cube trays. The wonderful crew Drinks great. Plinks sent us some earlier in the year. You can actually use them Remember, for Remember, Cara, baking. those are those big shaped ones oh, that we love. giant. Love them. Yes. So I recommend the giant ice cubes um, trays that they've got because they take so long to actually melt that you can really sit in the garden for quite a while and not end up with a warm drink. Anna, do you get the good glasses out? Like, is this a thing? Because I'm pretty happy with the good glasses. I I love a good champagne glass. I've got some really beautiful cocktail glasses that, believe it or not, I bought home from America before you could do online. So get them out. Get make them sure out. they're clean. Make sure they're not in the cupboard that yeah. no one can reach unless it's like a stepladder over yeah. the oven with the hot buzzer yeah. in it, as you would say. No, totally, Jane. <laughs> I'm so with you. You need to have the glasses at hand, the lemon cart, you know, the... I bought lemons for you the too. Only, the only thing I would say is that those big ice cubes don't always fit into glasses. True that. And um, into, into my good glasses. And sometimes when you go out for a cocktail, I think it can be a bit of a rip-off when the ice cube's too big. I'm just saying. No, Caro, the, re- thi- the other thing about that too is um, Pete gets agitated because you take a drink out of, you know, it's stuffed into your little gin and tonic glass and you have a drink and suddenly the ice cube falls forward and onto your face <laughs> and half the drink goes missing. 
God. So we need to get Anna, Anna, you'll glasses. Be, Anna, you'll be pleased to hear when we were um, at the world's largest sort of antique or Europe's largest mm. antique flea market the other day, stocking up for Rose and Oscar's new apartment, we found those beautiful champagne glasses like the one you serve champagne in. Did you buy the, them? Yes, she yeah. did. She bought a set of six or maybe a set of four, whatever they had, absolutely beautiful. So they're not flutes. They're like shallow yes. cups. And I think champagne just stay, tastes so beautiful in them. All the bubbles rise yeah. up. There's just something about them. that Hard to clean. Tell her that. Hard to clean, but well worth it. Well, we better move on. But um, just mentioning for people like me scared of cocktails, the Prince Wine Store with those cocktail packs. There is a Negroni at home pack. There is a Martini at home pack. The Manhattan's at home. So everything you need to actually make the cocktail. So I'll put the uh, link in the show notes. And don't forget to use the promo code MESS. At checkout when you're ordering online for a listener discount at Prince Wine Store. And hopefully Miles is back from his staff Christmas party next week. His absence has been noted. Oh. He was disappointed, <laughs> Corey. He wanted to be here. <laughs> Righty-o. That, that's, um, that's actually going to be our special Christmas episode. And um, we're bringing back our other favourite guest by popular demand next week, my mother, Julia. Corrie and Clem, my daughter. So, and I told you, they're all related to her. All oh, no, I'll be listening. With, That'll be fabulous. <laughs> well, a, a sneak peek. Um, I just read um, on social media, Anna, that Rhett Bartlett, son of Kevin Bartlett and Richmond's historian, has just tweeted, like in the last few hours, that never seen before vision of the unfurling of the 1974 premiership flag has emerged for the Tigers historians. And mum, Julia was the one one who unfurled that flag. Yes. She was wearing her navy blue corduroy Daniel Hester coat purchased oh. in Paris. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing it. We might be able to, Miss Jane, put it on the um, show notes. God, that's an absolute scoop. I, I'm in Melbourne and I haven't heard that at all. It's fabulous. Well, Brendan, my, <laughs> Brendan, my special researcher, told me about that. Now, Corrie, we're going to move on for our wonderful other sponsor, Red Energy, to Crush of the Week. You have a crush. Well, this crush, uh, where the, the um, Australian Cricket Board and Australian Cricket generally has taken a bit of a bash this year from you and I, Caro, at different times. My crush is actually today, as we speak, the Australian cricket team, second day of the first test Seven for 343 with a lead of 196. Take that Barmy Army, all 1,500 of you who emerged at the Gabba yesterday in your crazy outfits. <laughs> I must say, I do love the Barmy Army. It wouldn't be a summer with an Ashes summer without them. But I, I just, um, I, I just think full credit to the guys. They have really focused after all of the, um, oh gosh, the most difficult few weeks, few months, really. And I think Pat, Pat Cummings as uh, as captain, an inspired choice because yesterday, how many t- did he take? Five wickets yesterday, six wickets, I think five. Um, Corey, you're, I must say you're very easily pleased. I mean, one good day against the Poms and they're back in favour again. Uh, what about the cover up of the Tim Payne situation? Anyway, look, I'm glad they're doing. Don't well. rain on my I- parade. <laughs> it's the two hundredth. I can say whoever I want, and if and I, you know, I really. I watched a bit of the ashes yesterday. I caught a bit of it, which was unusual for me now that I don't work in a shop. That's all I do really watch cricket. But I was absolutely enthralled by the skills, a bit worried about the the, the palms. I don't think it's going to be a, a wonderful English summer for them. But, um, yeah, they're my crush, Caro. And let's just skedaddle on to books, screen and food. And, Anna, we're going to hand book over to you because – 
Um, Carol and I will talk about this next week. It's one of our favourite topics each year as, as we conclude the podcast. But we want to know what is in your summer reading pile. Look, I've got four books which I'm very quickly going to talk about in my summer reading pile or perhaps on my Christmas list if anyone's listening. And I first one is Brian Brown's Sweet Jimmy, which is an Aussie noir short stories by the actor Brian Brown. I've read a review in The Australian which said it's funny with ripping, it's a ripping yarn, ripping yarns with gritty characters. So I thought, look, that now could just, be good. Just to check on that, uh, the reviewer in The Australian, it didn't happen to be Graham Blundell, did it? It might have been a friend. Mm. I'm just I'm just saying, anyway, I'm giving it a go because I think it could be really good and it's his first book. My second book is Manette Walters' um, book. Now, I knew her as one of the world's best ever crime writers and, Cara, who can forget The Scold's Bridal, one of no. the most chilling books of all times. But unbeknown to me, she's turned her hand at historical fiction. Who knew? Yeah, I did read this, Anna. Have you have you given it a go? No, but this is her third book, so I've already got two that I haven't read. But this is called The Swift Harrier, which is set during the English Civil War in the 17th century. And the protagonist, Jane Swift, is a Dorset physician who comes from a royalist family, but she offers her services to both sides of the conflict in England, like the she's roundheads. A, she's a physician and she's a woman. I'm just saying. Oh, my God. Manette's putting it out there. Well, Carol, you know I have a friend, Heather, who owns the Fairfield Bookstore and... I've said I've mentioned Heather before. It's a great bookshop, by the way, in Fairfield. But um, Heather and I have very, very similar tastes. She was the one who put me onto Still Life, of course. The rest is history. But I was in her shop the other day picking up a couple of book orders, and she pointed to the Manette Walters and she said, mm. "This is very, very good." So I think Anna, if you do acquire a copy, pass it around. I will. I just think. I mean, we loved it as the crime writer, and I mean, I'm sure she's meticulously researched this. So that sounds good. My third is the latest Anne Patchett, her non-fiction called These Precious Days, um, which oh, is a collection of essays. Of Apparently, uh, dare I say, another review in the Australian, I don't know if it's um, a friend of Graham Blundell's, but <laughs> anyway, I mean, let number one, Anne Patchett, she could read the phone book or write the phone book and you'd be reading. I mean, who didn't love the Dutch House and Commonwealth? Just Agreed. for starters. Agreed. But I think I've just Googled what was what she's writing about. And she's written about hosting her first Thanksgiving, travel adventures gone wrong, tattoos avoided, uh, the year of no shopping, and Corrie owning a bookshop. So I think it's probably got your name on it more than mine, but I think that sounds... Got something for everyone. That, those something topics, for everyone. Something for all of us. And my last book is, Cara, a recommendation from our mutual friend Rosie Sterling... And it's mm-hmm. an Irish book, and she says Irish contemporary uh, fiction is having a resurgence. Corrie, is that true? Um, I don't know, um, but I'm dying to hear what you mm. what title you're about to say. She she just sent me a photo from Lawn with this fabulous cover of a book, and it's called Strange Flowers by Donald No D Ryan. Oh yes, um, this um. This came out earlier this year. It, I think it actually yeah. came out in 2020. But anyway, maybe it's taken a while to get to our shores. But it's a compassionate tale, according to Rosie, of a homecoming. So five years ago, a woman goes missing. She returns to rural Tipperary in the novel. And 
the novel sort of explores all forms of love. So her coming back, the family. Anyway, Rosie said it is beautifully written, really moving, really emotional. So I thought maybe I'll put that on my Christmas wish list as well. Oh, and that's wonderful. Controversially, you mentioned um, Still Life. Our book club had their breakup the other night, Corrie, and we all thought that Still Life would take home the um, the Brownlow that would win Best Book. But Colm Tolbin's The Magician beat it with all mm. of our book club members. And I must say, I turned up my nose to Anna. I was shocked mm. that I'm more than halfway through The Magician now. I cannot put it down, Corrie, at your recommendation. Yeah. It better is than a Still Life. Book. It couldn't be better than oh. Still Life. No. Well, it's very different. It's very no, different, Anna. It's very, very different. different. This um, propensity now for people to write novels about real people and real lives Um He's done it better than anyone, Corey. Yeah. I didn't know anything really about Thomas Mann. I mean, I know that he wrote The Magic Mountain, but as a story of Germany from the turn of the century, at the moment where sort of just pre-World War II and Hitler's in power and the family have escaped, or most of them have escaped to Switzerland. But what a fascinating story. Uh, did is. you love it? Oh, yeah, I absolutely loved it. And, Caro, it's, um, we've just finished it in the book clubs that we run, uh, no longer in the shop, but via um, Zoom and in person. So I've had about seven or eight discussions about this book in the last three weeks. And it has been well. My, so... my brother Will sent it over with me to um, to give to Rose, and I've pinched it from Rose. Oh, so I'm it, very it's, happy. It's such an interesting book, and and Colm Toybean, who is an Irish writer, has appeared on short and long lists of Booker prizes and various prizes over the years, the Costa Awards and things. But if he doesn't at least make the short list with this one next year for the Booker Prize, I will just eat my pen that I'm holding in my hand. I can't. I would not be able to believe that. Um, Anna and Caro, just um, just to jump in, if anybody has their pen and paper and they're taking madly down these notes that um, these recommendations that Anna's suggesting, I follow Hannah Kent, the Australian writer, on Instagram, and yesterday Hannah posted uh, the cover of a book. Uh, which I love by Shirley Hazard, The Transit of Venus, which I'm, sh- I think we've both read or we've all read. Mm. And oh, she said, and, and Hannah an Kent, absolute classic. Hannah Kent said, mm. uh, I have never, I have never read this. This one's escaped me. Any thoughts? Should I read it? So there was, as I said, the complete pile on, including yours truly, who just said, you know, in my top five. Anyway, one of Hannah's followers con- then. Text me or whatever you do, message me through Instagram and said, uh, in your top five ever, in your top five Australian books. And I had to think about that because you start to then think about amazing books like The Magician and Anne Patchett's mm. um, Bel Canto. So I said, no, I'll qualify that. One of the five top Australian books I've ever read. But what a beautiful, romantic story Transit would certainly be in my top ten ever. I reckon. I I loved it so much. It I took loved a long it. time to follow it up, as we know. It, it followed the evening of the holiday, and then years later, she wrote that book all about world world in Japan. Yeah. Um, and then she did the um, with the, the title fires in it. Anyway, we'll yeah, come to that. That's right. But um, it's um that that is. I reckon it's one of the greatest books ever written. Well, anyway, uh, hopefully we've convinced Hannah Kent, who is brilliant herself, to read that. So let's skip on to – thanks for that, Anna, and we'll skip on to screen. Caro, uh, we are very excited to to know that you have seen The House of Gucci. Anna and I have been talking about this. Um, It hasn't had great reviews here in Australia. Maybe they're different over there, not sure. Uh, Over to you. 
Deservedly so, Corrie. <laughs> this is not as you predicted last week, or you said it might be Ridley Scott's best. <laughs> Nowhere near his best, probably well, well down the list. By the way, The Great Fire is that Shirley Hazard novel, That's which right. is a wonderful mm. book too. Um, look, this film is so badly acted and so badly scripted in some parts. It's a story of the House of Gucci, a story I don't know how I have missed out on this tragic Shakespearean tale of Maurizio, who married, obviously, one of the um, Gucci heirs. Um, Maurizio, sorry, was a Gucci heir. He married Patrizia, who came from a sort of upwardly mobile, but not in any way patrician Roman family, and what happened to them, and ultimately one of the great sort of tragedies and dramas. It is such an unbelievable cast. And it was directed by Ridley Scott, so I don't know why it didn't manage to turn out to be a really good film. The only thing I'll say in its favour is that even though it's more than two and a half hours long, oh. Rose and I sat Rose and I sat through it. We were never bored, like we were riveted by the story, probably helped by the fact that um we didn't know the story. The one good performance I would say is Lady Gaga, who plays Patrizia. Um some people say she overacts and she spends too much time trying to convince us she's not Lady Gaga. She owns the screen. You can't take your eyes off her. Does she, break, in, Driver, does she break into song at all? <laughs> God, no. No, a bit of dancing. When the moon um, hits your eyes like a um, pizza no? Adam, even the music is really contrived. Adam Driver, who is a great actor, plays Maurizio. He... It's just a bit of a blob through the whole story, which maybe. But Maurizio was. So, Caro, I'm surprised you didn't know this story because it remains one of my kind of. I know. If we're doing top fives, top tens, my one of my all-time favourite reads in Vanity Fair, maybe 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago. Why on earth they didn't um, base the script on that particular? Uh, piece, I I don't know, but it was one of those. Well, well, I think it did, Corey. I think that story became, a, a, you know, a book. And it's based on that book. So it's the, the story's not at fault. The only thing, I mean, some of the other great names in it, Al Pacino chronically overacts. Um, he plays um, one of the um, the two remaining sons of the original Gucci, um, who was Guccio, who, of course, started selling leather saddles back in 1921. Um, the Al Pacino character, who is Aldo, he opens up, he sort of runs a whole New York and international operation Jeremy, Jeremy Irons also overacts as Rodolfo. And as for Jared Leto, who plays a sort of idiot nephew, Al Pacino's son, Paolo, who ended up, I think, dying in poverty in London, he is appalling. It's like he stepped off the set of another movie and um, his Italian accent is dreadful. I mean, this is the other thing. They're all English or American actors speaking with Italian accents, which I guess they didn't want to do subtitles. I understand all of that. Maybe they don't speak Italian, but... There was so much, some of the interesting characters in the Gucci story are left out. And there's none, there's no real understanding of the fashion and what made them so brilliant. Um, so that's sort of a bit disappointing. This sort of designers appear here and there. Um, Paolo's hopelessness in terms of his own flamboyant designs becomes a bit of a joke. Tom Ford comes in very briefly explaining his vision for Gucci, but with no depth or nuance at all. The only good thing is, 70s and 80s Rome and I was you know, going to say San Moritz and yeah. New York. I mean, that's all fabulous, but no, no, big thumbs down from me. Did you say two and a half hours? Two hours 38. See, it's like James Bond. If you can't land the plane 
after two hours, you, you you know, if you can't nail the story. Unless, unless it's Lawrence of Arabia or 1900 or some absolute classic and they're two-parters. But, look, really, no, no, it doesn't deserve that long. But as I said, we were not bored. I, I'll say that. But we were just absolutely, particularly Jared Leto, I can't tell you how badly he does this performance. And Al Pacino, who is obviously a great actor, but no, not in... It's one, well, it's one of those cases where if only they had given it to Italian actors to do it and we have to read subtitles. What a shame. What a would shame it, that we had to go to Hollywood. It would have been much better. Oh, I think but, so. But, you know, I think Lady Gaga will... You know, some people have bagged her. I thought she was pretty good. So I think she's about my only thumbs up. Anna, you've been watching The North Water... I, I have was looking at whether I should watch it. No, I? definitely watch it. Everyone should be watching it. It's only five episodes, so that I love. You know, a series which is containable. You can binge it or do week by week. But it's based on you know the book by Ian McGuire. Yeah, Ian yeah. McGuire. It was a bestseller. Um, it, it, which I read the book years ago. And look, it's grim. It's a mystery drama series. It's grim, but it's really. It's definitely worth watching. It stars Colin Farrell. He's the big name, unrecognisable. You, you just wouldn't ever know it was him. And it's no, set... I agree with that. Oh, so have you started it? Oh, well, it's, it's promoted heavily on BBC First in between yet another Midsummer Murders or The oh. Larkins, another new series. No, and, um, exactly. Yeah, we, everywhere. Yeah, so we watched it, I think, on Binge, but it's BBC First. But it's set in Hull in England and the Arctic Circle in the late 1850s. And it's really, it's fabulous. So... It stars, it's also got Tom Courtney as well as Colin Farrell. They're the two sort of big names. And basically, it's in a nutshell, a a disgraced army, ex-army surgeon signs up on a ship on an ill-fated whaling expedition to the Arctic. Um, Say no more, just watch it. If you're sick of the cricket... Oh, Give it a crack. It sounds a barrel of laughs. Actually. No, no, it's it's grim, it's pretty violent, and there's some really confronting scenes. And it's not, and there's wailing. So it's not the sort of thing I would normally watch. Chris couldn't believe I was completely hooked. It's just a great tale, well told, and incredible cinematography. And you're on a boat, so you've got the, you know, there's so much going on. Really, definitely recommend the North Water. Oh, okay. That's a good one. Now, um, Christmas, um, I've, as I said, it does look grim in the ads, but I'll, I'll give it a go. Corrie, um, we're all going to give a Christmas tip now. Do you want to kick it off? I will, Caro. I thought we would just look at um, little little feastings that we might give one <laughs> another. I'm hoping that you'll come to my house with these gifts, actually, over Christmas or after Christmas when I see you well, both. Well, since you banned my Christmas nuts, you'll never get a Christmas snack from me again. That was in the interest of my body weight, Caro. It had not, you, you still have taken that way too personally. Way too personally. Um, I, this is the first year in 12 years, girls, that I haven't been working in retail at Christmas. And so I thought, well, what I will do is get in the Christmas spirit and I will cook um, some little bits and pieces and they can be hostess gifts um, before or after Christmas or indeed on Christmas Day. And... So I thought everybody does shortbreads, even though I have the world's greatest recipe for a rustic shortbread out of the Monday Morning Cooking Club um, book, I think book number two. But I am going to make little jars of pesto. And my recipe comes from the Alimentari cookbook of about six years ago. And Miss Jane will pop these on the show notes. But can I tell you, I have cooked this, I can't, 
I can't even imagine more than a hundred times this pesto recipe and it is a winner. And I think the secret to it, girls, is that it's 200 grams of parsley leaves and 300 grams of basil leaves. And Ah. I think therein lies the interest because a flat leaf Italian parsley will give you, uh, you know, it it sort of offsets the pepper taste of the basil leaves. So we'll pop it in in the show notes. But Caro, I've been thinking about you because I'm putting aside potential lemon cordial bottles for you, the odd gin bottle and everything. It goes on the top of the fridge. That'll be Caro's lemon cordial. Well, the other other day, husband Peter opened the pantry and out came about 10 jars. Why are you keeping them? Oh, that's for my pesto. He said you'll be making pesto till next year and the year after, which is probably true. But girls, stay tuned. So, Anna, what is going to be your little food gift? Well, I have already done one batch, which I'm going to be giving to you and Miss Jane later on. It's my world famous onion jam. Let me show it to you, Kaz. (laughs) It's a very easy recipe. I've got some for Clem. It's really, um, it's yum. And you know, just when you need a bit of sprucing up in your meal, you know, you can think that looks bloody boring. Onion jam will really lift it. And she's written a little tag here. Anna's onion jam. Gee, that's original. Come on. I'm nothing but not direct. <laughs> oh, and keep refrigerated. Well, okay, good to know. No, yeah. good to know. Stick it in your fridge. Anyway. I'm so thrilled with that. Recipe on the show notes. It's great for cheese and, you know, um, tomato and cheese on toast. It's good with the leftover buzzard. The, ha- the ham sambos on Ham sambo. Day. No, it's good. So, no, I, I just thought this year I'm going to do a... A lot of cutting up of onions. Oh, but. Anna, I love it. And uh, and I love the little bow and the way you've dressed it all up. Thank you very much. And you know, you know my mother's um, trick with onions, um, probably everybody's trick, is to put the knife in your mouth when you're cutting onions because then your eyes don't sting. No, we wore goggles and then our glasses over the goggles. No. I did it with Janet. We had a day of craft. Put, put, the, put the knife hilarious. in. Put the knife in your mouth. Be careful. But aren't you using the knife to? No, chop no, it? no. Just a, 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 a non serrated, like a butter knife or something. Why would that work? Metal. It's metal and it works. Mm. Or like me, you can have contact lenses and then you can cut up all the onions mm. in the world forevermore. No. There was a lot of onion chopping, but it was really fun. It was a lovely, fun, happy day, and so happy with the produce. What a nice thing to do with a friend. Caro, if you were here, I would be cooking my pesto with you. But what if I'm at your house in Amsterdam, what are we cooking? Um, well, I'm going to make the Christmas nuts and I have scoured. And, and look, it's Great. not my recipe. It's, it's Laurie Chartres's recipe and I'm sure they'll be appreciated here, Corrie Perkin and Mary Clark, <laughs> more than they were by you two. Very hard to find small macadamias, you know, which is the, the whole secret to this recipe. Those big sort of candle nut shaped macadamias are far too big. You can't eat them. They're basically toffee nuts. They are so beautiful. You can't put them down. So good with a glass of that um, Prince Wine store Vouvray. The ingredients are 350 grams of macadamias combined, probably three or four tablespoons of um, pine nuts, sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds, half a cup of sugar, tablespoon of cumin, a teaspoon of coriander powders and a teaspoon of salt. So they're the powders. Mix all them up. Um, toss the nuts in the pan with um, quite a fair bit of olive, maybe about, oh, I think it's about quarter, how much olive oil? They say quarter of a cup. I do less. Cook the nuts in the olive oil. Pour in all the powders. Stir and stir and stir until everything gets dark and they the toppy sort of 
colour of the nuts starts to emerge, put them on a baking tray, on baking paper, break them up once they're cool, put them in a tin. They last for weeks in the fridge, absolutely delicious. And and then potties uh, or new potties who haven't heard this story before, you can do as I did when Caro gave me her mixed nuts about, what, four years ago was your first outing with these nuts. I had one, I had two, I ate the entire jar <laughs> before anybody came home from work. And I felt, well, and I was as fat as a goog. I just could not move off the sofa. I had nut, I mean, I had nut allergies. I had nut <laughs> overload. They're bloody beautiful. So that's why the following year yeah. when she gave them to me, I went, no, please, I can't. I can't take another nut. One word, Corrie, restraint. <laughs> Right, on that happy note, thank you, Red Energy, who each week brings us book, screen and food, BSF, powered by the Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Thank you, Red Energy, and isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131806. Now, Caro... You are grumpy. Actually, I made you grumpy because I wanted to have the crush this week. What are you grumpy about? I've got plenty to be grumpy about. Anna, I'm grumpy that the AFL have introduced by stealth a new fixture next year where the Tigers are no longer playing the season opener. It's Melbourne and the Bulldogs the night before. I'm Katie sorry, Melbourne. Mel- how Do many, not get me years, started. How long was it between drinks for Melbourne? Let them have their glory, girls. Come on. No. On. Come on, Tiger girls. One of, Come the on. Games, one of the game's great, great traditions. I suppose it's great to have the flag, two flag teams playing again. But the way they've done it and mm. sort of dressed it up as a celebration of football, I'm not mm. fooled for a minute. It's a slap at Richmond. Totally agree. And no, but, I was gropable. But that's what I'm really grumpy about. It's this revelation that Prince Charles was apparently the royal who made the comment about what the baby would look like, what Harry and Meghan's baby would look like. No, what colour? What colour? This... What colour? It was but, about the colour of the skin. Yeah, yeah what colour the skin would be. Now, Christopher Anderson has written this book about you know what the four people once known as the Fab Four, Harry and Meghan, and um, and obviously Prince William and Kate, and how they've fallen out. The way this conversation is relayed, Anna, I think um, Prince Charles is said to have said over breakfast, I wonder what the children will look like when Harry and Meghan get engaged. And Camilla said, oh, they'll be gorgeous. And he said, oh, but, you know, the colour of their skin. Now, I do not believe this for a minute. I think this has completely been overcooked. Whether And, by the way, Prince Charles has completely denied this. How often, when you see a gorgeous couple, do you say, I wonder what the baby's going to look like? When you have a blonde and a brunette getting married and they they start they, they decide they're having a baby, you often talk about what the baby's going to look like. If one of my children had married someone who had dark skin, who maybe was Indian or African-American, I would wonder what they... And I'd talk about it. Oh, I wonder, you know, what they're going to look like. I don't think that's racist. I think this has been really overcooked and I'm getting sicker and sicker of Harry and Meghan by the day. There you are. <laughs> no, I'm I'm completely with you. If your chi- no, if your child married a really tall person, you'd be thinking, "Are we going to have tall children?" We'll it's it's exactly the same. My father was a redhead. We were obsessed. Were our children going to be rangers? Like you know, I, there was nothing <laughs> wrong with it, but. And those are Anna's views, and no one else's. We love redheads. <laughs> no, no, I but, love. But Anna, I love redheads, is, but. It, it was said it was picked up by... Um, this could be our 200th and last show. Can Don't I be say? ridiculous. Redheads are fine. I love them. But I'm just saying, when you've got a, a 
identity trait. It is what it is. No, yeah, I'm with you, Carol. Anderson sort of claiming the, the journal who's written this book that it was picked up by others in the royal household and they were the ones. But it depends, Carol. It depends on the tone. That it depends on the tone of Prince Charles's alleged comment. So if he said to Camilla, "Oh, I wonder what," it, well, then of course you know we we're in the zone that Anna's talking about. Quite rightly, we all wonder what the child will look like because it's just a curious part of. You know who we are, who and actually, exactly. But what exactly. about, I, I, but what about, what about if he? What about if he was snippy about it? What if he? What if there was a sneer and a and a, and an unfriendly tone in his voice? But Corrie, who heard? Who was there when the butler Anna? They always it wasn't the a, butler. Okay, Palace Insider. I mean, no. I, look, Harold, I'm with you. I mean, we know it wasn't Phil or Liz, and then you just yes, think, well, they made that point. Mm. It, much more is fed, by the way, on the fact that Liz, you know, withdrew the photo of um, Harry and Meghan and their baby from the, you know, when she made the royal announcement, took got that photo away from her shelf, which was seen as, you know, the ultimate snub. But anyway, I just, on the evidence I have, I don't think, I think that's a really dastardly accusation for, for poor old Prince Charles. He's not perfect, but not that's not one of the reasons. If you are new to this podcast in our 200th episode... I just have to qualify this by saying we spend a lot of time talking about the royal family. We really do. Well, it's we really it's do. Sort of We're obsessed. Interesting microcosm of everyone's life. Exactly. Isn't it? It's our. It's in our lifetime. Okay. So now we're off to six quick questions, and I'm going to start with one to you, Caro. Sports Administrator Nick Tuckos resigned this week from the Adelaide Crows board in protest of what he describes as the AFL's, quote, coercive and forceful, close quote, vaccination policy. What are your thoughts on this controversial policy? I don't think it's controversial at all. I think it would be controversial if there wasn't a policy. Nick, Nick Tarkos has been a long-time Crows staffer before he um, joined the board, I think a year or so ago. And I think he's been completely unrealistic, Corey. The AFL is a different beast to any other business or, or it's a different beast to most other businesses. And I'm sorry, but football was given a lot of privileges over the last two years of COVID that other businesses were not given. And I think they have to come back and say that the Crows players can't play without being vaccinated under the AFL rule. So surely if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander and the staff have to be vaccinated too. They've had a lot of issues for Crows. Um, they've had an SANFL player who had a jab and was hospitalised and they're not sure whether it might have been linked to the jab. And obviously one of their premiership players... Um, her name's Denny Varnhagen. She's actually gone onto their, um, she's on their list, but she's not going to play this year because she refuses to be jabbed. Strangely, she's a nurse. So um, he's saying it's um, discriminatory. He's saying that maybe this SANFL player who got the jab, he, he came down with pericarditis and maybe that was linked. How, why, how do we know that? No, I think he's been really unrealistic. And if he can't stand the heat, he's done the right thing by getting out of the kitchen. Now, Anna, what is your favourite Christmas tradition? Thanks for asking, Caro. I actually uh, did it today. My favourite tradition is going with my son to buy our Christmas tree. We started when he's in kindergarten. He's nearly 25. We go to the same place every year, which is the Port Melbourne Baseball Club, and they run it as a fundraiser. And I just thought, I wish we'd taken a photo every year because it's just oh, hilarious. Oh, yeah. You know, and... JB is not with us this year for Christmas because he's going to Mexico and LA, sadly. So at least I got him before he um, 
absconded to Tulla. But no, that is my favourite tradition because we've just done it forever. He chooses a tree, I pay. He puts it in the car, he brings it in. Oh, I have tears, Anna. You know, on our, <laughs> on our 722nd episode when you come in and it's Christmas, I want you to tell us that you were there with JB and JB's two little kids. Kid. <laughs> no, it, look, it's just a daggy. As you come in and you walk in frame. <laughs> a daggy tradition, but it is, it's just one of Jane, my favourites. Jane, don't you laugh. You'll be ageing with us. You won't be just pretty and gorgeous like you are now. You'll be menopausal. Now, Corrie. Am. Corrie, why did you return from the rat $1 short last weekend? Um, because I said to one of my grandchildren, Hattie, I said, oh, Hattie, don't be so stupid because she was having a tantrum. And she stopped having the tantrum, turned to me and said, Mopsy, you'll have to put a dollar in the swear jar. So on many levels, this was quite annoying. Firstly, when did stupid yeah. become, uh, well, apparently it is among, you know, millennial parents, you know, allowed stupid. to say stupid. So Charlie and, Charlie and Checker immediately fed into this argument and said, no, stupid, you're not allowed to call anybody stupid. Well, I thought, oh, okay, that's fair enough. I get that. Okay, Hattie, well, I, who has a dollar? <laughs> it's not a swear <laughs> I, I, word. I don't, have, I don't have a dollar anymore. So Charlie had to sort of find one that I pretend <laughs> on the floor that I pretended to put in and said that was mine. Well, I hope you but, pay him back, Corrie. But the next day, Checker and I were shopping with um, all three children, Well, which was fine. It's always fine. It's noisy and, and difficult. But we got there and we did our sort of six stops in Ballarat and picked up the fish and picked up the new bed linen and, and everything. And at some point, probably around lunchtime, Willow spat it, had the biggest tantrum in the street, in Main Street, Ballarat. And Checker and I thought, well, we'll just ignore her. We're walking to the car. She'll be fine. And Harriet turned around and said, oh, Willow, you are such a pain in the ass." So I turned to Hattie and said, that'll be a dollar. Thanks, Hats. Did, history, she, did she pay up? No. Well, history doesn't relate yet. She said she would. And um, I haven't seen yet whether it's arrived in the jar. Now, um, Caro, what's the follow-up to last week's Oasis cover band Snowed, Snowed In story? <laughs> Oh, you wouldn't believe it. There's been another Snowden story, this time in North Denmark. It was pointed out to me by fellow grandmother of Sunday, Jane Hedstrom, who's back in Sydney, and um, knows a fair bit about IKEA for very good reason. Did, did you read the story about the IKEA Snowden a few days ago? Yes. No, I did. They all... They all um, they, they, Six customers yes. and 25 staff. There were 12 inches of snow. And it, the but they had the, rest, they had the restaurant. They had the restaurant. They had the restaurant, yeah, they, Caro. They, I hope they had the meatballs were, at the ready. No, they had the um, the hot cinnamon balls, in fact, <laughs> with hot chocolate, coffee and even some beer, according to some reports. The town in Denmark was Aalborg. Not only did they all choose their own bed for the night, the six customers <laughs> who um, were in there, some of them were there to buy beds, so it was a perfect opportunity to road test the beds, better than oh. you could ever do it normally. They all had they all had the cinnamon buns and the beer and the you know the hot chocolate and the coffee. They all had their own bed, and they all stayed the night. They all had a lovely time. And the next so there was twenty five staff included as well as those six customers. And the next morning, because IKEA didn't open till ten, 
the staff, because there were still 25 of them in there, managed to strip all the beds and change them in time for 10 o'clock opening. <laughs> and the people in there managed to choose their beds. So it's happening all over Europe. I tell you, where will it be next week? Anna, what's the best Christmas present you've purchased this year? I have... Chris is going to be absolutely wrapped. And, Carol, I think I might have sent you a photo and even you were impressed. We are absolutely obsessed with Yellowstone. I don't know if you've discussed it on this podcast. Boringly, yes. Oh, well, you know how fabulous it is. Anyway, I thought... I haven't seen the new series yet, so oh, I have to, so good. to look forward to. No, it's so good. Anyway, I just thought, my sister Lai said, you know you can buy Yellowstone merch. I said, right, straight <laughs> onto the computer. <laughs> I've got the organic T-shirt with Yellowstone, the big Y, Yellowstone, Dutton Ranch, Montana for Chris. How wrapped oh. is he going to be on Christmas Day? I mean... I hope he's not listening. Look, Corrie actually said when we were talking about it, you know, you don't want the person to know what you've bought. I said, trust me, Chris never listens. He reckons he gets enough of this at home. So, no, sadly, he's not one of your demographic. So I can easily say best present ever. I'm going to be in such the good books. Now, Caro, what's, what's this week's Dutch fact? Well, I mentioned real estate, Corrie, again. I've talked about Dutch auctions, but... Um, what I, I think I've also referred to, there's a housing crisis here in Amsterdam. There aren't enough places for people to live. And the good folk, the good Dutch folk who lived here for a long time and have lived here forever are having to move out. So there's been a few occurrences because of this. It's been happening for decades. Um, Airbnb is very much frowned on over here. And in fact, you can only, if you own an apartment, you can only sublet it on Airbnb for one month every year. They're really, really strict about that. People might try and get around this, but um, but they're not allowed to really, and you can be charged. Squatting became a massive crisis here in the 1980s, 1970s and 80s. There was a violent demonstration, in fact, in the 80s when um, police with guns had to forcibly remove squatters. And I think there were even demonstrations by squatters when Queen Beatrix was crowned in, at the coronation back in the 80s. So they made squatting illegal, not just a... Um, yeah, they made it illegal. What they've got now is, because there is so, so much building going on, there's a new thing called anti-squat, or in Dutch, anti-kruk, K-R-A-A-K. <laughs> where, I love your Dutch accent. Well, well, you can move in under the anti-kruk rules and you can become a permanent legal squatter. And what people do is if they're renovating, if they're selling a building, if they're pulling it down in a year due to, you know, they've got a construction thing, whatever, they're so scared of squatters moving in because despite the rules, it's still hard to get people out, that they rent it to you at a really, really cheap rate. Now, this is mainly schools and halls and office buildings. But Rose and Oscar have friends who stay in the most amazing places and have been doing it for years. So one friend lives at the moment in a 15th century church and he plays he pays 115 euros a month how good god what incredible. a great deal <laughs> you're allowed to you know make small adjustments to the place you're living in not major renovations and they expect you to keep to keep the building in good order but 115 euros a month under any man's language that is a really good deal and it's a beautiful old church so there are a lot of deals like this going on and it is helping people keep the squatters out they're worried about removing them looking after a building and paying really cheap rent one way of um looking after the housing crisis week. isn't that something that um you know a good squatter will know so a good squatter rocks up to the 15th century church and says you're not the owner of this place we're moving in 
We don't no, know. Well, no, that, well, that's just being violent. No, that's forcibly removing people. No, because he's in there. The removal bit is the hardest bit. So to get in, you have to obviously sign a contract and pay some amount of money. But in most cases, hardly any money at all. And it's a really good, cheap way to live. Wow. Because well... Anna, Chris, Chris would not like the Airbnb oh. rules. It's really tough here. But it's like New York, you can't Airbnb. I mean, there's a lot of places that, I mean, it is destroying the fabric of a lot of communities and certainly well, in Melbourne so many, too. Oh, South Bank's a problem. We were telling some Dutch friends about that the other day. Um, yeah, the um, as I said, it's, it's, it's not a big city and there's so many wonderful places to live, but it's becoming unaffordable for so many Dutch people, which is really sad. Uh, well, all the Australians who are listening to this, who are thinking of travelling next year to Europe, have taken this on board and they will be researching, Caro, the factories and the churches <laughs> and the school halls. <laughs> and when they are asked by people, Why, how did you hear about mm. us? Oh, we heard it on Don't Shoot the Messenger, <laughs> which everybody listens to and all the information that we've been giving for the last three or four years has been passed around and around and around and around all our GLTs, all our fun, all our tips, all our reading, all our screen. And today is just a little taste of what we do each week, including the alcohol. No, we don't usually drink on air. <laughs> I hope not. Not in the morning. <laughs> We've often drunk on air, Corrie. Come on. Anytime no, we... after five or six o'clock. Don't tell Kevin from Geelong because he'll say, yet again, I'm loose. <laughs> but look, it's just been, um, it's been a long episode, but we... Just wanted to celebrate and uh, four friends, Jane, Anna and Caro and myself and all the friends out there, all the guys, the girls, the young, the old, everybody who listens to us every week. Can I honestly say we would be nothing, this podcast would be nothing without all of your support. Don't you agree, Caro? I do, Corrie, and I'm not going to say it in Dutch this week, but would you like to thank our sponsors before we sign off? Yeah, well, I gave you about seven weeks' notice, Caro, to say don't shoot the messenger in Dutch. But, I did um, it last week. <laughs> oh, can you do, week. Okay, do it again. Go on, without your notes. Um, thank well, you to our now. sponsors. <laughs> you know who you are, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store. You are the um, supporters of our podcast and you're the reason that we can go to air every week. And also our lovely listeners. And we love all your feedback Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we're there. Just look for Don't Shoot Pod and you'll find us or you can email feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And we'd like to thank Anna from the Op Shop. Anna Barry, you are a dear friend of this pod. You come on board. We give you no payola whatsoever. <laughs> you just you just make our day. Thank you, Anna. My pleasure. Thank you. And it's lovely to have you and um, Merry Christmas and Girls, what do we say for the 200th time? Don't Don't shoot shoot the the messenger! (laughs) This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world.